Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I host each week, and we are going to get into our discussion on the mechanics of politics here in the United States once again. Thank you all for downloading and listening to the podcast. It's greatly appreciated. And if you have comments, please feel free to reach out to us via our email address at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to seeing your messages and addressing them here on the show. So let's get started. As always, we start off with our update on the COVID pandemic here in the U.S. Uh, As of this week, we are at 102 million cases here in the U.S., Uh, 1.103 million people have died from the disease, and 664 million have been vaccinated, receiving either one dose or both doses for two-dose type vaccinations. Uh, Please don't forget that there's a new variant out, and although this new uh, XB.1.5 variant is uh, less virulent than uh, its predecessors, it is still uh, the COVID. It is uh, spreading around the country at a fairly rapid pace. Uh, And that means that we should be preparing and getting ourselves protected, which includes getting the latest round of booster shots, which are targeted to address this new variant, as well as following, you know, our very familiar by now uh, mask protocols uh, where needed and making sure that we maintain social distancing as is prudent uh, given whatever situation you're in. So let's make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep ourselves, our families, our communities uh, safe from this latest uh, COVID variant. All right, let's get into our show. And uh, we've got a pretty varied selection of uh, topics that we're going to cover on today's show. Uh, First and foremost, looking at some of the top headlines from the past week, uh, in the latest round of the President Biden uh, document uh, kerfuffle, scandal, whatever you want to call it, uh, additional documents were found this week at uh, President Biden's residence, uh, somewhere around between six and ten documents that had some form of classified marking were discovered after the FBI conducted a top-to-bottom search of the president's home. Uh, so, you know, the the drip, drip, drip of documents coming out of the Biden uh, orbit uh, is continuing. Uh, we don't know if there are more sites being checked uh, or investigated, and uh, if you know, the real chances there that additional documents will be found. Now, you know, as you know, there have been a lot of comparisons between what's been going on with President Biden and what transpired with former President Trump down at his Mar-a-Lago residence. Uh, I won't get into all of the the push and pull of the differences. Uh, Just suffice to say that the one big difference that is clear is that Uh, The Biden team is being extremely forward and and uh, responsive, uh, giving these documents to the National Archive uh, as soon as they are discovered, 
uh, unlike you know what transpired as we've talked about here on this show uh, over the last you know couple of years uh, with the former president where the uh, the National Archive and the FBI actually had to issue search warrants and uh, involuntarily go search the former president's residence down at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. So, I mean, there's a lot of discussion going on about uh, what some are perceiving as similarities between the two uh, situations, uh, but they really are kind of an apples and oranges comparison, uh, particularly with the, the uh, forward-acting uh, response by the Biden team as opposed to the uh, the not forward acting response from the former president. But we won't get into that uh, any more than we already have. Uh, we'll keep posted on any new developments and we'll bring them along to you. What I do want to get into um, is the other uh, big news that occurred over the past week. Uh, on Thursday, this past Thursday, the U.S. Uh, hit its debt ceiling limit at uh, $31.4 trillion uh, on the U.S. debt. Now, what that means is that unless Congress takes uh, appropriate and swift action, the ability of the United States to pay its debt obligations will run out uh, completely uh, sometime in the month of June. Now, while that may seem like a long time to, to address this financial issue, something you have to understand is, number one, the U.S. economy is the strongest economy in the world at the present time. Uh, our currency, the U.S. dollar, is the basis currency for much of the world. It is the currency upon which many other countries base their currency. So if there is a perceived weakness in the dollar or should the, the unthinkable happen and the U.S. default on its debt payments, that is, it does not make the payment that is due in June, uh, the impact to the world would be swift and devastating. Uh, it would likely throw, if, if nothing is done, let's put it this way, if nothing is done and the U.S. just bounces that check on its debt payment, uh, it is almost certain that there would be some level of a global recession, uh, perhaps even in some countries that are already uh, struggling uh, falling into a uh, depression uh, in their economic systems. And that would be devastating to the world economy, not to say the least about the economy of the United States. So right now, conversations uh, are being held, negotiations are going on, and so forth. Um, in, in line with that, I came across an article that came out of Reuters uh, on the 22nd talked about one of the actions that is being looked at uh, and this as I said came out on the 22nd uh, it's titled US lawmakers prepare preparing a plan on the debt ceiling uh, and the article cites a bipartisan group of US lawmakers is preparing a plan 
to defuse a looming crisis over the nation's debt ceiling by changing it from a fixed dollar amount uh, to a percentage of national economic output. Uh, and this is the, you know, the basis of their proposal. What their proposal would do would replace the current federal debt ceiling, as I mentioned, it's currently at $31.4 trillion, with a rule that would instead limit debt to a share of national economic output. And this is according to Representative Brian Fitzpatrick, uh, who has been you know, very out front and visible in the media regarding the debt ceiling. He's the Republican co-chair of the moderate Problem Solvers Caucus. So uh, when he appeared this Sunday on Fox News uh, and he was there with his Democratic Problem Solver co-chair, Josh Gottheimer, uh, he said the Republican House of Representatives, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, will be taking the lead in negotiations with the White House over the debt ceiling. But he and Gottheimer were putting, quote, meat on the bones of their proposal to help avoid a crisis. Uh, what he's saying is they're going to offer up a possible bridge building solution uh, that would, as I said, replace uh, the current uh, based on, on dollars debt with a percentage of the U.S. national economic output. Uh, basically, they're going to tie the, the debt payments and the debt ceiling to how well the U.S. economy is performing. So the, the idea behind this is, in, in my opinion, uh, very interesting and, and laudable uh, it does raise some questions on uh, it's all well and good if the U.S. economy continues to keep growing, uh, even at a, a moderate pace as it is right now, but a solid pace. Um, and then what would happen should the uh, economic situation of the United States uh, have some sort of reversal? Uh, that wasn't discussed in the article However, uh, what they want to do is find an alternative to another discussion that is happening uh, among the Republican-led House of Representatives where the, the uh, ultra-conservative wing of that party is looking at tying resolution of the debt ceiling with spending cuts in various programs uh, that the U.S. is currently paying for. So what, what does this mean? Well, first of all, you, you have to understand what exactly the debt ceiling is. Uh, the debt ceiling to the United States of America is equivalent to what your uh, spending limit on your credit card is to you as an individual. Um, it, it is saying that currently you know, we have expended all that we projected uh, we could, quote, afford, close quote, to spend uh, on obligations that we we take on. You know, such things as, you know, financing uh, military operations, um, you know, and, and paying for uh, emergency crises here in the U.S., all of that stuff is done through the borrowing of money, much like how, you know, we individuals use our credit cards 
uh, to purchase uh, goods and services now, paying for them with future dollars uh, that we, through our, our agreements with our credit card companies, agree to pay. Now, what happens, you know, if you stop paying your credit card is essentially, you know, they, they shut you off. You can't buy anything and it, it drastically damages your credit report. Uh, well, the same thing happens in a sense to the United States with the added weight of, as I mentioned, the United States being what's called a basis currency for many of the currencies of the nations around the world. Uh, and should, you know, there be some disruption in the payment uh, that would affect, as it's called, the full faith and credit of the United States, uh, that just means you know, that many countries around the world uh, would suffer. So with that pressure going on, the Republican House is talking about tying a resolution to the debt ceiling with, uh, with e equivalent or greater spending cuts uh, through two programs uh, in other areas of the government. Uh, and there's been talk about cuts to such items as defense spending, Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid, uh, you know, other uh, uh, programs that benefit many and much of the people here in this country. Um, so what, what the article talks about and what I found interesting is it said that the debts that the U.S. is incurring is currently equivalent to about 125% of one year of production across the U.S. economy. Uh, so what, what is being proposed would be budget cuts on uh, Washington if federal budgeting or borrowing exceeded a set share of economic output. Although they did not provide what that share would be, basically they're saying that uh, the amount of increase to our, our debt spending uh, could not exceed whatever that percentage is. Now, the problem on the other side of that is uh, paying off the, the obligations and responsibilities financially of the United States of America is enshrined in the Constitution. And it, it is uh, explicitly directed that you know, the, the full faith and credit of the United States shall not be uh, ignored, essentially. Uh, so basically, we're under orders from the Constitution to pay our bills. Right now, what the argument is, is that the, the money that would go to take care of that obligation uh, has run, uh, essentially, is running out. Now, Janet Yellen, the, um, the Fed chair, has already stated that there are extraordinary measures that can be taken. Essentially, uh, to put it in layman's terms, the U.S. would practice a you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul approach so that the payments on the debt uh, would not be interrupted. And keep in mind that the debt ceiling and the payments for that are for obligations that we have already signed off on that we're already doing it is not for future future spending so these are our bills that we have incurred that we are obligated uh, to pay off by our constitution so what could treasury do well treasury can start using uh, two extraordinary measures 
to allow it to contempt to temporarily continue financing financing the federal government's operations and this is according to secretary janet yellen they are most and, and mainly behind the scenes accounting maneuvers um, as part of according to uh, an, an article uh, as part of debt insurance suspension period, the agency will begin to sell existing investments and suspending reinvestments of the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund. Also, it will suspend the reinvestment of a government securities fund of the federal employees retirement system. Basically, they will use the uh, retirement funds of the civil service workers, the postal service workers, uh, and government uh, uh, retirees uh, to pay the uh, required debts. Now, these uh, funds typically are invested in what are called special issue tre treasury securities, which count against the debt limit. Treasury's actions uh, would reduce the amount of outstanding debt subject to the limit and temporarily allow it to continue paying the government's bills on time and in full. So, you know, there, it is a, an important uh, element, uh, but it is not necessarily a critical, well, I shouldn't say that. It is a critical thing that needs to be done, uh, but there are mechanisms that that are in the system to help address it. In the meantime, the real deal is to come up with the solution. So that means that you know, Republicans and Democrats in the House uh, are going to have to work together uh, in a bipartisan manner to uh, agree on an increase uh, in the debt ceiling and uh, allow the government to continue to meet its obligations. And by the way, this is not a new thing uh, since 1960. So basically, you know, 60 years, there have been more than 78 uh, debt ceiling uh, expansions uh, that have been uh, routinely taken up by Congress. Uh, generally and usually over, the, over its history, uh, these necessary increases in the debt ceiling have been pretty much perfunctory. That is, um, the need arises, uh, Congress gets together, they agree on how much they are going to increase the debt ceiling by and for how long, and you know it's voted on and passed without a, a whole lot of, of wrangling and emotional fighting back and forth and so forth. Uh, over the last probably 20 years or so, that process has become much, much more contentious. Uh, there's, there have been a lot of partisan bickering uh, and fighting over what can be done about the debt ceiling. Uh, it, it is something that is an ongoing thing that uh, has to be dealt with every so often uh, until that one glorious day when we, we come up with a, a balanced approach in order to pay as we go uh, with our obligations. Uh, so you know, we need to just make sure we're communicating with our elected officials in Washington and let them know that you know, 
they need to work quickly to resolve this to avoid a, a nationwide and global financial crisis that would impact you know, everyone across the board, but for poor and, and low-income and moderate-income people, uh, such, such an outcome would be financially devastating. Essentially, it could wipe out, you know, uh, retirement accounts. It could, you know, uh, impact and, and cause a, a runaway inflation condition. And we're still trying to work down the inflation that we have right now. So we need to make sure that we're reaching out and talking with our elected officials on what we want them to do about the debt ceiling crisis. And just in case you're, you're thinking that, you know, this this you know, isn't a, a big deal and that, yes, they'll get it done. Um, in the uh, 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 years during the Obama administration, uh, we had a similar situation where the debt ceiling needed to be raised. And the Republicans in the House, uh, by then uh, Speaker Newt Gingrich, uh, held the debt ceiling hostage uh, for spending cuts uh, in other areas of the government, uh, which ultimately President Obama uh, had to had to take up in, in some form or fashion simply to make sure that the obligations of the United States would continue to be met. So essentially, the, the model was they were holding the debt ceiling hostage to get some uh, painful spending cuts uh, pushed through by the Democrats uh, on, you know, such things as military spending, um, you know, Medicare and Social Security, uh, some other entitlement programs and other areas of discretionary spending that go on in the government, like education, uh, infrastructure and things like that. Um, and it, it, it was a very um, contentious and painful uh, time for the U.S. financially. And even though we ended up meeting our obligations and, and getting the debt ceiling limit raised, because of the delay, it ended up that for the first time in its history, the credit rating of the United States, which had always been, you know, triple A, which is the highest of the highest level rating by uh, credit agencies around the world, was actually downgraded to, you know, an AB rating, which is, you know, still very high, but it is not that that penultimate uh, credit rating. And just that action caused an economic shockwave that rolled around the globe and impacted the markets for uh, a, a few years uh, after the event uh, took place. So the, the end result and, and why you know, we should be concerned about it is, as I said, it is not just that you know, the, the, there comes a point in June where the U.S. simply won't have the cash to pay its bills. This is going to trigger uh, reactions in markets all around the world. And, you know, we, we've just uh, come through uh, a, you know, a global financial um, occurrence, you know, related to the COVID pandemic, where because of all of the massive lockdowns and shutdowns and restrictions, uh, the economies of the world uh, all took a major hit. 
well, you know, this this could happen again, even as we are still on the rebuilding path from the covid, uh, the height of the covid pandemic pandemic, I should say. So it is something that, you know, we as the the voters, the electorate, the American people, we need to be sincerely concerned about it. And we need to be uh, communicating with our elected officials um, that our expectation of them is to achieve a bipartisan solution to this sooner rather than later. Um, You know, already some of the plans that are being discussed are talking about they have, uh, you know, action deadlines uh, stretched out into March and perhaps April. Well, you know, that isn't a, a workable solution, in my opinion, because there are other things that could happen uh, that would throw an additional financial burden on the nations of the world. One thing that comes to mind would be if, if there was a sudden escalation in the war in Ukraine, requiring you know, a, a much greater expenditure of funds by Western countries uh, to uh, oppose an, an increase in hostilities uh, by the, the Russian Federation and you know, the allies that it has in, in terms of the war in Ukraine. So we need to get this fixed uh, sooner rather than later. And, you know, it, it would be great, you know, in, in wishful thinking, if we could come up with a solution that would uh, uh, eliminate these periodic runs uh, up to the limit of our expenditures. Um, you know, but <laughs> wisdom says don't hold your breath for that. So. You know, as I said, the U.S. has had to raise its credit limit 78 times since 1960. So, you know, this is not something new. Uh, It happens because uh, we are a forward-looking and forward-acting country. And, you know, when there is a disaster in another country, uh, you know, whether it's a, a disease outbreak or an earthquake, um, or, you know, any, any type of, you know, uh, international incident that requires action to be taken by other countries, typically the United States is first in line offering assistance and aid and money. And all of that is paid for uh, through, through our, our debt process. We take on more debt so that we can pay out to Uh, help these other countries. Well, you know, those bills have to come due and we're obligated both morally and under the law as as it is enshrined in our constitution that these bills must and will be paid. So, you know, unless we want to see cuts in entitlement programs, as I said, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, we want to see, you know, more drastic cuts in our education programs, reductions in infrastructure uh, projects moving forward. Uh, we need to get our Congress people acting to resolve the debt ceiling problem we have uh, as soon as possible. So in a few other uh, headlines that came to the front this past week, um, there's been uh, some additional scandal reported 
with uh, embattled uh, Republican Congressman George Santos. Uh, now, um, stories have emerged of an, an episode of him uh, being dressed in women's clothing and more lies about his background coming out. And there's been little, if any, discussion from the Republican leadership in the House on what they're going to do about Mr. Santos. Now, the reason I bring that up is look back, search back for other instances of uh, Congress people, uh, congressmen and and senators who uh, ended up, you know, with some scandalous news uh, that transpired. Uh, and we can go all the way back into the late 60s with a congressman by the name of Adam Clayton Powell uh, from Harlem, who was reelected to Congress and Congress refused to seat him. Uh, it ended up in a lawsuit uh, going all the way to Supreme Court, and it was, it was uh, resolved, and he ended up taking his seat and also having a law passed that a duly elected representative uh, is required to be seated uh, even you know, if you know, there, there is a scandal unless uh, the individual is convicted. Uh, in which case they can be you know, lawfully refused their seat in the House or uh, in the Senate. Then we had, you know, Senator Al Franken, uh, who, you know, uh, had a, a photographic scandal with a, a female reporter on a flight um, and, and so forth. Um, there, there have been numerous uh, senators uh, who needed to resign because, you know, basically they did something stupid. Um, so, you know, the, the idea that they are allowing Santos to stay in his seat, uh, even though the level of his deceit and, um, and, and information that he provided uh, seems to be so egregious, uh, really boils down to the fact that there is only a five-seat majority for the Republicans in the House. And if they remove um, Santos, he is a Republican from a heavily Democratic district. Uh, so it would be likely that that seat would flip over to the Democrats. And uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy simply can't abide with that. So it remains to be seen what they are going to do about Representative Santos. Uh, we will keep an eye on it, and we will keep you posted. All right, let's take our first break here, and uh, we will come back on the other side with some other stories that I want to bring to you. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. I am Audrey Jackson. I'm Greg Jackson. On February 19th at 4 a.m., a gun was used to take my son from me. You know him as Pop Smoke. We call him Char. Because of gun violence, I'll never see my son run up the front of our steps, taking them two at a time. He won't ever take my hands again and dance with me. He won't come into my room and muscle pose in the mirror. Gun violence destroys families. It must stop.
And we're back. Welcome back to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm hosting. And we've got some interesting stories to round out the show for today. A couple of things. Uh, Before I get into this, my next story, I'm going to put a few uh, disclaimers out there. Uh, First, uh, I am not an accountant. Second, I am not a lawyer. Third, I am an advocate for something called a flat tax, and this will have more meaning as I get into the story. But what that is essentially is rather than the graduated tax system that we have in this country right now, I am a fan of what would be known as a flat tax. That is, everybody would pay uh, the same percentage of their income, uh, regardless of how much that income is, Uh, And uh, there would be a dramatic reduction in the number of loopholes and so forth. If you uh, remember or if you go to your search engine of choice and look up uh, presidential candidates such as Ross Perot, P-E-R-O-T, and Steve Forbes of Forbes magazine fame, both of those candidates ran uh, as uh, Part of their platform containing a flat tax. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, essentially it means that um, you would pay 18%, for example, of your income uh, to the government as your tax for the year, rather than the graduated system we have now that you know ranges from you know, zero to 30-something percent or whatever. Um, this when it was proposed, and this was several decades ago, uh, ran into a, a firestorm of opposition and basically never really got off the ground. Now, I say that to get into uh, my next story here, which is something that came from uh, both the National Review and uh, the website The Motley Fool. And it's titled, The Fair Tax Act Would Replace Income Tax with a 30% Sales Tax. Now, before you fall out of your chair and and go say what, let me get into the details of this. Um, I also need to add in that uh, this is one of the concessions, apparently, that uh, Congressman Kevin McCarthy made to the 20 or so uh, objectors in his party in order to gain their votes to become Speaker of the House. So what is the Fair Tax Act? Well, according to what he has proposed, a he's proposing that a vote be brought to the floor for the Fair Tax Act. This bill would abolish the current income taxes, payroll taxes, estate and gift taxes. I want you to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, In their place, it would impose a 30% national sales tax. Uh, This was introduced to the floor by Representative Earl Buddy Carter, uh, who introduced the bill, and he said that it will, quote, eliminate the need for the IRS entirely by simplifying the tax code with provisions that work for the American people and encourage growth and innovation, close quote, uh, and that came out via press release from him. 
The bill refers to the sales tax as a 23% tax because it would make up 23% of the final cost. Most people, on the other hand, would likely consider it a 30% tax because it would add 30% to the pre-tax price of items. For example, a $100 product would cost $130 with the national sales tax. Now, as with the flat tax proposals of the past, uh, according to the article and according to what's reported, uh, it's unlikely that the Fair Tax Act will be approved, even if it passes the House and the Senate. Uh, the Biden administration has already released the statement that the president, that if the president were presented with H.R. 23, which is the bill that this is, or any other bill that enables the wealthiest Americans and largest corporations to cheat on their taxes, while honest and hardworking Americans are left to pay the tab, that he would veto it. So what does it mean exactly? Well, proponents of the Fair Tax Act argue that it would simplify the U.S. tax system. Americans would no longer need to spend time or money on tax preparation and could focus on other personal finance concerns. The elimination of the IRS could also reduce government spending. Critics, on the other hand, argue that the proposed tax is regressive because it disproportionately affects those with lower incomes, which is what a regressive tax does. A study by William G. Gale of the Brookings Institution claims that the Fair Tax Act would cause taxes to rise for 90% of households. Only households with incomes in the top 10% would get a tax cut, and the top 1% would save over $75,000 per year on average. So, what does that all entail? And again, it's since the odds of the Fair Tax Act passing are low, the current tax system probably isn't going anywhere. While, and while tax filing can be laborious, it's, an, it's important to know how to do it and how to reduce your tax burden. Uh, and the article goes on to give a couple of tips to help. Uh, it says to pick a quality tax software. Uh, make sure to find one that you're comfortable with uh, because it's easier to do your taxes if you use the same software every year. Manage your tax deductions. Uh, contribute through a 401k or an individual retirement account as both or both as these allow you to reduce your taxable income and get tax help if you need it. Uh, for example, if you have a complex tax return or you just want to save time, you can outsource the taxes to an accountant. So the National Review goes on in its article, uh, and this came out on the 19th of January, uh, and it starts off with, to become Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy reportedly promised a floor vote on the Fair Tax Act. Uh, and as, it, as I said before, this bill would replace the existing income, payroll, and corporate taxes with a new national sales tax. You know, and it, it goes on to describe the example I just gave of the $100 item costing $130. Now, in the National Review article, uh, he goes on to state that any House Republican who backs this bill can accurately be accused of voting for the following things. Raising the price of everything by a huge amount at a time when inflation is already high. Shifting more of the tax burden to the middle class 
instituting a large new wealth tax on senior citizens and increasing federal spending by a massive amount, increasing the deficit and creating large black markets. So it can be pretty easy to see how the bill would shift the tax burden from high earners to the middle class. Uh, it holds poor people harmless by sending everyone a, quote, prebate to cover taxes on all purchases up to the poverty line, which is, uh, if I'm remembering, it's something like $13,000. Uh, and it substantially reduces the taxation of returns to investment. If the bill achieves its goal of raising the same amount of money as the current tax system, it has to increase taxes on the middle class. And that's even before uh, considering how much uh, states and localities would raise tax rates once they found that everything they bought was 30% more expensive, i.e. pass-through. It would almost certainly fall far short of that, but the middle class share of taxes paid would still go up. You know, and it goes on to talk about uh, senior citizens uh, would find the real value of their savings had dropped by about 30%. Having paid taxes on their income throughout their working lives, they would now also be paying taxes when they spend that income in retirement. Federal spending, it's reported, would rise because of one way the bill tries to cushion the blow for seniors. Simply swapping the existing taxes for a new sales tax would reduce the real value of Social Security checks, too. The bill solves this problem by enlarging the checks. That's one of many reasons for thinking that the bill is likely to swell the deficit. Another is that sales tax rate at this, I'm sorry, the sales tax rate this high is bound to lead to large-scale uh, evasion. So, you know, and of course, the fair tax supporters have answers for most of these changes. They are not, uh, as he describes, persuasive answers. But even if they were right, Republicans who vote for this bill would be taking on a formidable amount of defensive work. Those in competitive seats especially should know what they are getting themselves into. Uh, and also he notes uh, that this bill would increase the share of the federal tax burden paid by parents, especially by parents with several children. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, again, another comparison with what we have now. So stepping out of the article for a moment, um, if you've been following politics for any length of time over the past, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so, um, you know that the Republicans have been hell-bent for leather to get rid of the Internal Revenue Service uh, as a whole, or at a minimum, get rid of the high-end taxation that impacts you know, the, the wealthiest 10% uh, of the country, which form a large portion of their donor base. Uh, it also, uh, we're, they're looking to uh, reduce the impact of taxes on corporate America, uh, which would free up more money for corporations to send uh, to their political candidates because if you follow Citizens United, corporations are people too. Uh, the other new argument, well, sort of new argument they're adding is that uh, this Fair, Fair Tax Act would also include provisions for, you know, as eliminating the IRS, 
it would also eliminate the funding that was put in place by the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which would fund the IRS hiring 87,000 new employees, or what they called agents, uh, to, as the article says, weaponize the IRS against small business owners and middle America. Uh, this bill would, need, would eliminate the need for the department entirely by simplifying the tax codes with provisions that work for the American people and encourage growth and innovation. So, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, the, the Republican talking point that we heard throughout the midterms and throughout the last, uh, you know, national election cycle uh, of getting rid of the IRS uh, stopping the Biden administration from uh, bringing 87,000 new employees, which they designate as agents. But in a report from the IRS, it was stated that of that 87,000 people brought into the agency, only about uh, two to 3,000 of them would be actual enforcement agents in the field going after you know tax avoiders and so forth. The others would replace... Uh, those in the agency that are retiring and uh, restoring agents that have been lost to attrition over the years uh, to give the agency the, the people power it needs to enforce the, the tax regulations and provide customer assistance and other uh, services. So, you know, the, the idea here, and as with many pieces of legislation, both Republican and Democrat, You've really got to pull the curtains back and look at, you know, what are the things that you know, a proposed piece of legislation would do that they're not talking about? So this bill is talking all about, uh, you know, simplifying the tax process, getting, you know, making it simple, making it straightforward. What they're not talking about is the impacts of eliminating the Internal Revenue Service in its entirety. Uh, the impact of eliminating the, uh, those taxes that uh, most generally impact the wealthiest, uh, you know, 10% or, or more of Americans in this country. Uh, the lion's share of the rank and file U.S. citizens uh, don't pay capital gains tax. Uh, inheritances, you know, again, for the working class, uh, the middle class and the poor, are exceedingly small if they exist at all. So, you know, these taxes are clearly uh, aimed at the benefit of the wealthiest Americans who have, you know, large estates that they are passing on, you know, to their, um, to their children and to their beneficiaries. So, you know, th this again is just another case of where uh, when we see these bills that are presented, and again, this is uh, just as much applicable to Democrats as it is to Republicans, uh, but it's, it's just that the Republicans are now in charge. So, you know, they're going to they're going to take much of the heat uh, on on these bills uh, as the Democrats did uh, under the previous Congress. So all in all, when you when you boil it all down. Um, this Fair Tax Act uh, is another example of ways that the Republican Party is seeking to get some of its um, more 
uh, onerous or less popular objectives accomplished. As I've said, they were talking about ways of eliminating, uh, severely restricting, cutting way back the Internal Revenue Service for years. Uh, this is just the latest attempt to accomplish that by wrapping it in the sweet tasting wrapper of eliminating uh, what most people, you know, especially this time of year, since we're in tax season, uh, dread is filing their income taxes every year. Um, and, and again, as I, as I stated at the top of the segment, uh, it's, it's one way. Uh, the, the flat tax I talked about uh, was another way of accomplishing much the same thing. However, it applies the same level of taxation across the board so that someone earning a million dollars you know would pay you know again 18 percent or what one hundred and eighty thousand uh, dollars in taxes where someone who made ten thousand dollars would pay their 18 percent or eighteen hundred dollars in taxes everybody would be treated equally the tax level would be the same for all uh, and the government would still receive its funding so Again, just uh, the, the important takeaways here are this is another uh, proposal that the Republicans are presenting to us where we need to look behind the curtain to see, you know, how the machine is operating. You know, we need to raise the hood and look at the mechanics of it to see exactly what's going on. Uh, also, it is, you know, just a, a part and parcel of the, the diligence that we talk about on this show that we always need to perform uh, whenever we see you know, new legislation or a new proposal for a bill coming out of the House or the Senate uh, and you know, making sure that we're asking the questions of our elected officials you know, with regard to what goes on you know, underneath the surface of this bill. So you could be contacting your representatives and your senators and asking them, so how would this uh, fair tax bill impact, uh, you know, X, like home, the, the mortgage credits? How would it impact health care credits? You know, I've already mentioned what it would do with, with seniors, but what about uh, young people? What about uh, folks with disabilities? So, you know, again, the, the proof is underneath the curtain. The proof is, you know, raising the hood and looking at how the machine operates. So this one, again, caught my eye because of, you know, my uh, affinity for a flat tax system in this country. Uh, if you uh, have an opinion on that, please send an email to the show at fireduprradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to get your feedback on what you think of both this uh, new tax proposal and on you know, a, a flat tax approach to taxation in this country. So let, let's have that discussion. All right, and the final story that I want to talk about, um, I kind of figured that you know, I, I would be able to get through at least the month of January uh, without having to talk about Texas or Florida. Well, we are, you know, some three weeks into the 118th uh, Congress and three weeks into uh, the new year, and I've got to talk about Florida. Uh, and the reason I say that is 
something that came out, uh, and again, this was covered in the National Review as well as some other sources, and it is that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has uh, launched a or has signed a, a law that is prohibiting the, uh, the schools in Florida from teaching uh, anything about uh, advanced placement African-American studies. So this was, again, from the National Review. It was written by Stanley Kurtz, and it came out on January 18th. Uh, the article says the College Board, the group that runs the SAT tests and the advanced placement program, has launched a pilot version of an AP African-American studies course to great fanfare in the mainstream press. Although the AA, I'm sorry, the APAAS pilot uh, has received plenty of publicity, the College Board has clothed the, co the course in secrecy. The curriculum has not been published, released, nor have the names of the approximately 60 schools uh, at which the pilot are being tested. Uh, on January 12th, the administration of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wrote a letter to the College Board informing it that Florida was rejecting its request for state approval of the APAAS. The letter from the Florida Department of Education's Office of Articulation goes on to state that, quote, as presented, the content of this course is inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value, close quote. At the same time, the letter notes that, again, quote, in the future, should College Board be willing to come back to the table with lawful, historically accurate content, the Florida Department of Education will always be willing to reopen the discussion. Uh, in short, what that means is that uh, DeSantis has decided that this uh, suggestion, this course, APAAS, does in fact Florida's Stop Woke Act by attempting to persuade uh, students of at least some tenets of CRT. Um, so, <laughs> once again, the critical race theory card is getting uh, played. And, you know, what still boggles my mind that, you know, states like Florida doesn't seem to understand is that according to studies and surveys, critical race theory is not taught in any elementary school in the country. Uh, it, is a, uh, it is an advanced level course that at worst is briefly touched on uh, and, and, and referenced uh, in you know, senior year uh, as a college placement, part of a college placement discussion, uh, but it is not in any way uh, taught in a detailed manner in any elementary or junior high or high school in the country. Um, it is a course that is taught in the college level. Uh, it is most taught in uh, programs at the college level that are uh, sort of pre law and, uh, and that's the extent of it however you know it is something that the right has latched onto as a way of 
you know, forwarding their agenda on um, rewriting or whitewashing uh the American history and the story of American history to exclude any discussions of the uh, amount of racism or, you know, uh, anti-minority sentiment that has permeated this country's society uh, since the earliest days of its existence. Um, you know, the, the idea of denying the fact that slavery happened the denying the fact that uh, Jim Crow was, in fact, the the law of the land and the operating principle of you know half of this country uh, post Civil War, and and all of the other systemic uh, racism elements that to this day continue to be perpetrated on people of color in this country, uh, just goes to to show that we still have. Uh, a lot of distance to cover before we find our way uh, into, you know, some form of better uh, environment for everyone in this country. Uh, the The idea of teaching the the story, uh, teaching the facts of uh, the the history of slavery in this country, the history of uh, you know, racism and the, the systemic nature of racism in this country uh, is something that negatively impacts uh, white students, uh, even though, you know, the, the idea uh, really is anecdotal at best, uh, is something that continues to be a struggle that we have to face. So let me give you an example of how this battle is shaking out. Uh, again, this is according to the article. Last October, North Carolina's James G. Martin Center submitted a public records request calling on the lab school of Florida State University, where it was known that APAAS is being piloted, to release the curriculum and associated materials. Gavin D. Burgess, Associate General Counsel of Florida State University, wrote back in December refusing that request. According to Burgess, quote, the vendor, College Board, has asserted that the materials you seek are trade secret and confidential. Again, for the College Board to keep the APAAS curriculum secret while simultaneously asking states to approve the course for high school and college credit is indefensible. The secrecy violates long-standing concerns about the College Board's acting as a de facto unelected national school board. By filling APAAS with Marxism and critical race theory, while at the same time presenting the course as a harmless exercise in African American history, the College Board is trying to fool the public. In effect, the College Board has decided to go to war with the national movement of parents working to take back control of their children's schools. The College Board is using secrecy and prestige to nullify democracy. And just by way of you know, uh, background here, there are AP study courses on Germany, on Japan, which the United States fought against in World War II, um, on, you know, all 
level, 17 or 18 different countries around the world have advanced placement studies courses at colleges, at high schools in this country. And yet there is no advanced placement study course on uh, African studies or African-American studies. So, you know, the, the hypocrisy here is palpable. Um, this is, as the article says, this tactic is nefarious but politically uh, clever. It asks the question, what governor wants to be attacked for rejecting a course in African-American studies? It takes guts to say no to a course that looks benign on the surface but is, in, in fact, filled with CRT and leftist propaganda. Propaganda, And it cites DeSantis has guts. Um, I don't know if DeSantis has guts. I think he is uh, standing firmly on a platform of, you know, political feeding of the base uh, of the Republican Party, in particular the far right base. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the, the real guts that would be shown is for a governor in one of the states where this uh, is being uh, presented to bring that information out into the light, damn the torpedoes, and take it full speed ahead and, and bring it to the attention of the American people so that the American people can decide on what it is that our children are being taught in our school systems that we fund with our tax dollars. So, you know, again, conversations need to be held with your state and local uh, representatives, particularly your boards of education, to find out, one, is this course being offered? Or is, is, are, are these schools in your jurisdiction uh, one of the selected schools to test out this um, this program, and two, what is in this program? You know, it it should be an exercise for people attending school board meetings to raise this question continuously, to keep asking the question until answers are delivered. This is what being you know educated, informed, and uh, energized is all about. You know, as we talk about on this program constantly, you've got to get engaged. You've got to educate yourself on what the issues are. You have to reach out across many different sources, uh, not just accept what you hear or read or see on social media, not just what you hear, read or see uh, on you know one side, uh, whether it's you know a right. Uh, leaning organization like Fox or Newsmax, or it's a left-leaning organization like MSNBC, CNN, uh, you know, NPR, and so forth, uh, you've got to ask the questions and demand the answers. That's what being engaged, that's what being, um, you know, a, 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 an advocate for not only our children, but for our country. And that's what uh, this show will continue to bring forward. So with that, you know, we will we will end it there. But the the battle is is ongoing. Find out what's going on in your area. Find out what's going on in your community. Uh, ask the questions. Look for the answers. Talk to talk to people. Talk to educators. Talk to teachers. You know, are they teaching this course? You know, in in uh, in this school. 
you know, ask the tough questions and expect the tough answers. So that's the wrap up for this episode of Fired Up. Uh, go do me a favor, go check out our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash fired up radio as we start to implement some of the uh, changes and updates that we're doing to our platform. Uh, most notably, our graphics are starting to be changed. Shout out to the WJMS intern squad for their work in helping us uh, update our look. And uh, we will look forward to bringing you more information, more news stories, and more uh, up-to-date accounts of what's going on. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. I look forward to talking to you again in seven days.